Have you ever really, have you ever tried really hard to do the right thing? Have you ever tried really hard to do the right thing and then failed? Again, don't raise your hands. I know we could all be. Have you ever tried really, really hard to do the right thing and over and over and over again you failed? What happens when that happens? Does it lead you to feeling condemned or guilty or shame is a big one, right? That's one side of the coin, right? Tried really, really hard. Can't seem to get this right. And then we've got the other side of the coin where sometimes we say to ourselves, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I just saw this thing on the news and I've never done anything like that. (laughs) You know, I do this or this, but I don't do this and this. And we compare ourselves to a standard that often we put in place, right? Um, You know, you guys know I've worked in prison ministry and I've worked with guys in recovery. And, you know, one of the things that was so interesting is the guys who are humble and understand where, you know, what they've done and where they're at compared to the guy who says, well, I'm not like this guy. You know, you're in prison, right? You're not like this guy, you know? And we're looking at other people and we put this standard based on our standard of other people. And we can feel superior to others or that we've earned something from God. That's the other side of it. If you grew up in the church like I did and you were trying to do all the right things and sometimes you think like you earned something from God. This is the two sides of the coin. The one side is that there's shame all the time and I'm struggling really hard and I'm trying to do my best and I can't do it. And the other side where we think we're pretty good people. And so God should be pretty pleased with me because there's a whole lot of bad things I could be doing that I'm not doing. The text that we're going to look at today, I call the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer in the Bible. It's an amazingly beautiful, convicting, healing, condemning, saving, and many other descriptors we could put on this passage. It's that type of passage. It's the kind of passage that can make you swing back and forth unless you really understand what it's trying to say to us and are really open to what God wants to do in your life. But it can be that kind of passage. And, and if you've never read the book of Romans, I just really encourage you to do that. And, and I would say do it this week. The book of Romans is a powerful and beautiful book that makes it clear what our condition is and how awesome God is and the way that God has made available to us to know him and to be in right standing with him. So I invite you to to take a look and read through the book of Romans. Now, to really understand today, I think that this quote from John Piper, now here's the thing. I'm a John Piper fan. I try not to quote lots of uh, preachers while I'm preaching, but if you know anything about John Piper, he spent, I don't know how many years, seven to eight to nine years preaching through the book of Romans in great detail. And when I was going through this uh, preparation, I was looking at some of the things that he wrote and said, and I was like, well, I got to say that. <laughs> and I got to say that. And so I'm going to quote him a lot today. And um, I'm just going to invite you to, to take that in. And you can kind of look up some of the things that he has said and written on, on the book of Romans. But there's a lot of powerful things, and so I'm going to quote him a lot, and I just wanted to give you a uh, preparing for that today. This is one of the things he said. You start with God, okay, as we're thinking about this, this passage and trying to really understand it. You start with God and with his goal to manifest all that he is so that he might be known and worshipped with reverence and awe and joy that correspond to all that he really is in perfect proportion. Now, you might be saying, okay, what was all of that about? Here's the thing. What, what we need to do to really understand this passage this morning is to shift from being us 
centered, to being God-centered, but to understand with beauty and with just awe about what God has done when he's created the universe. That when God created all things, including you and I, his highest goal is that those who he created in his image, you and I, now put ourselves in this, in this shoes, that he's created us for a very specific purpose, and that's to know him. Like when he spoke all of this into being, and when he, we talked about this in Acts, he's the giver of life. Your life, my life, all of our lives that are sitting here and throughout the whole world have been spoken into existence by Jesus. So all of human life is created by him, and his point with creating us is that we might know him, and that we might worship him, and that we might have a reverence and awe and a great joy by knowing him. And then what Piper said was that, that all of this would correspond with all the reality of who he is, all the awesomeness of who God is. God wants us to know it. And, and God's going, like, like C.S. Lewis said, God's looking down and saying, you're, you're playing with mud pies when I've got this over here for you, which is for you to know me, the God of the universe, the, the, the perfection of who I am, the, the power of who I am, the beauty of who I am, all of the goodness of who I am. I wanted you to know that. And he wanted us to have perfect understanding and perfect unity with him. Can you picture this? Try real hard with your minds this morning to picture this, that the God of the universe wants to be united with you in a personal way. And that's why Christ came, and that's why he sent his spirit, so his spirit could actually live in us, and there was a bond, a unity with the God of the universe. And he spoke us into being so that we could know him. And that we could have a relationship with him, and we could understand him, and we could see the nuances of who he is. And we could see the sunset and go, whoa, God, look at that. We could, we could see him heal somebody and go, whoa, look at that. We could see a transformed life and go, look what God can do. And his intention, and what Piper was trying to say here, is that, that our greatest joy... Our greatest good, our greatest fulfillment as human beings created in God's image is when we know him, when we worship him, when we see him with a reverence and an awe and a joy. This corresponds with the reality of who he is. When, when all of that is in sync, that's best for us. See, I'm not just saying this because God is up there saying you guys need to do this. God is up there going, oh man, I created you to know me to be in perfect unity with me, to have a relationship with me, and you're out there chasing after this. And God's not up there angry at us. God's up there going, oh, no. <laughs> That's not what I created you to do and be. I created you to have a perfect unity with me and a perfect understanding of who I am. So the goal of today's text is to understand and experience the righteousness of God through faith. This righteousness, if you, I'm going to try to explain some words today, so hopefully we can grab onto them and understand them better. And this righteousness simply is the perfection and the goodness and the rightness and all of the beauty and perfection of who God is. And for us to experience that, we're going to experience it through faith. And this passage is going to tell us what the problem is and what the solution is, and I hope that you'll see it as beautiful today. And I hope that you'll see it as, I can't believe that this is the God that we're talking about. 
this is how he operates. This is how awesome he is and how good he is. So let's take it one verse at a time and work our way through it. And you're just getting one sermon from Romans. You can go hear John Piper do like, I don't know how many hundreds he did, but a lot. Here we start out with Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. By the works of the law, he's referring to the Old Testament law of God that has been laid out through the Old Testament. And we've seen some of this as we were going through the thread. And he's saying by that law, by those obedience to those things, no human being is going to be able to be justified in the sight of God. None of us will be able to be justified in God's sight through obeying the law because we aren't going to be able to do it. We're going to fail at it. And I hate to tell you, but you probably even failed at it just this morning. All right? And if you haven't, you'll fail at it before the end of the day, probably. All right? I've been failing at it because I've been complaining about snow. I don't know if anybody else has been doing that. But there's all kinds of places we fail at it, through the attitudes of our hearts, through the actions that we've done. This is what Piper says about this, this, this verse. No human being will be justified in his sight by the law. To be justified means to be acquitted by God. To be declared free and innocent. Isn't that beautiful? To be made right in relation to God so that his indignation is removed and our rebellion is taken away. The issue is two things with sin. It's my rebellion and it's God's indignation that we would violate his glory. And so Piper goes on to say the point of this verse is that acquittal is never achieved by the works of the law. You can never be acquitted and counted as innocent and justified by the works of the law, no matter how hard you try. And Paul is making that clear, that no matter how hard his readers try, they're not going to be able to be justified by following the law. Because one, they won't be able to do it, and two, it's not enough. So to justify means to be acquitted by God, to be declared free and innocent, to be made right in relation to God, so that his indignation is removed and our rebellion is taken away. That's what we need, but we can't do that by the law. But it does tell us that the law helps us see our sins. So the law, the Old Testament law, was a tool by which we could see our sin. It wasn't something that could get us to be justified and made righteous, but something that would help us to see our sin. And now, I hope you stay with me today because this is great stuff here. Here, we start with it in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. A righteousness, and the best way I, I try to figure out how to explain these words, whatever is good and right and lovely and pure and just, that's who... God is and Christ is. The righteousness of God and the righteousness of Christ is the standard that God has about what is good and what is right and what is lovely and what is pure and holy and just. And all that is right. Righteousness is just simply thinking about the rightness. The rightness of Christ, the rightness of God. Now all the rightness of God has been made known to us. That's what manifest means. And God upholds what is good and right and lovely. He upholds all that. Not only is it is he it, he upholds it as well. And Paul wants them to know clearly that this righteousness, all that is right and good about God, has been made available to them apart from the law. Here's the good news now. He's going to start to tell them how they can access this. It is available to them. God isn't up there in heaven going, 
yeah, man, you guys are so messed up, and I hope you can figure out a way. God's up there going, okay, I'm going to have to make things really, really clear for you. And so a righteousness has been made manifest, made, made known to us that's apart from the law, apart from doing things. But the law and the prophets are going to bear witness to it. They point to the righteousness. The law and the prophets will show where, what righteousness looks like and will point to it and will help people see how they fall short of it. So here's where we are so far. For the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we can't be justified, but we can know sin. But now a righteousness of God has been made known, manifest, which is apart from the law, although the law and the prophets pointed to it. All the Old Testament pointed to it. But here it is. The righteousness, but now a righteousness of God through faith, this is verse 22, in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Here's the beauty. There's no distinction about who can receive this. But he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Bear witness to, to what? The righteousness of God, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there's no distinction. You know what can bind us together in this room today is the righteousness of Jesus. I mean, we've got Packer fans and we've got Viking fans in here, right? we got UMD students and St. Scholastica and LSC and Wisconsin Superior students. We've got older and younger. We've got male and female. We've got all kinds of diversity here. What brings us together is the righteousness of Jesus. That's what brings the church together. And so he says, there is a righteousness, but it comes to us, and this is so important, this little word, through faith. It's not a righteousness that comes to us by trying real hard, gritting our teeth, following the law. It's a righteousness from God. It's the holiness and moral perfection and goodness of God that comes to us through faith. Here's how one commentator put it. The righteousness of God is not ours by faith. Listen, it is ours through faith. We do not earn righteousness by our faith. See, that's where this is so important. We receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't earn it now because, well, I should try real hard to believe. Faith is a conduit that helps me to receive the righteousness that Christ has already given me. Faith is not a work in which we earn righteousness. It's the vehicle or, or a conduit. Somebody uh, shared an example with me that I thought really worked well, and I don't see an extension cord, but we got a lot of cords up here, right? Think about an extension cord. An extension cord goes from one source to power another source, but the cord is just the conduit. Faith is the extension cord that brings us the righteousness of Christ into my life. And so it's just, it's an act of faith, but it is not a work. It is something that God helps me to do to believe and have faith. And the righteousness of Christ comes through that extension cord into my life. And it's through, not by. That's really, really important because what happens is we turn to another work to try to earn our salvation, and we don't even realize that it. it's so subtle. We think, if I try real hard to believe, that's what i got to do. i got to try harder to believe. And faith is not trying harder. Faith is, um, it's not the degree of my faith, okay? This is really important. It's the object of my faith that saves me. You see, if you have a small amount of faith or a large amount of faith, that won't make any difference if you have it in the wrong object. 
right? So massive faith in your own works and your own ability is the wrong place to have the faith. So it's not the amount of faith. It's the object of the faith. And so there is a righteousness that I need that's outside of myself. And I'm going, how do I get there? How do I get it? I keep trying different things. And Jesus just says, it's through faith. I'm going to give it to you. And we're going to see in a little bit, it's going to be because of his grace. And so the issue is not how much faith I have. The issue is the object of my faith. And the object of my faith needs to be the righteousness of Jesus. And I put my faith in Jesus and his righteousness that that's going to be enough to cover my sin. And so he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction, and here's the great equalizer, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is the great equalizer. We're all in the same mess. Any amens out there, right? We're all in the same mess. All means all. You, me, my kids, my parents, my favorite author, my favorite celebrity, my favorite athlete, you fill in the blank. All means all. The powerful and the poor. Those who bother us and we see that they're in the top ten of wealthiest in the world. Those who commit great crimes and those who go to work faithfully every day. <laughs> all means all. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Remember, God designed the universe for his purposes and his glory. And he tells us what it looks like to, to make him glorified and to make him known and to follow him. And we go off and do our own thing. So we diminish his glory. We undermine his glory. And we all have sinned. And he says that sin causes us to fall short of that glory. So he has a prescription about what it looks like to be a godly husband. I fall short. <laughs> what it means to be a dad. I fall short. You fill in the blanks of the things that you're called to do and you fall short of the glory of what God intended. God intended for me to be a certain kind of husband. I'm that way sometimes. My wife's not in here. She's in the nursery, so I can say that, right? I, I'm that sometimes, uh, but there's plenty of times I'm not. And when I'm not, I'm offending the glory of God who designed being a husband a certain way. When she falls at being a wife, there's many times when she is glorifying God by how she's a wife. And then there's times where she fails. You just fill in the blank. That's just one relationship. You fill in the blank of all the different kinds of relationships and the way God has called us to live out life and we fall short of it all of us and his glory and he's going yep that's that's not my standard you didn't meet my standard and so he's got a standard and I don't meet it and if I were just to say amen and go home today you'd all be like oh this is a <laughs> lousy church man this is discouraging I'm not going to say that because I got some good news that's coming up but I will not understand that good news unless I understand this news. I will not understand this unless I can go, I'm a sinner who falls short of God's standard, what he designed me to be. So I need some help. And this is again how Piper puts it. It shouldn't surprise us that if the world was designed by God to display his glory, 
and the human race is intent on every uh, excuse me and the human race is intent on glorifying everything but god there would be great upheaval and malfunction and misery in the world makes sense doesn't it if if he had a standard and this is what it means to be human and to live and treat one another and we fall short of that there's going to be upheaval and dysfunction and malfunction because it's not the way it was designed to be so the standard is his glory and my sin is everything i do and don't do and everything that i think that is short of the glory of god that's what sin is. There's the glory of God, which is his standard of what he intended when he created. And my sin is everything that I do and then the things that I don't do that I'm supposed to do. And everything that I think Jesus even took it to that level that is short of what is glorifying God. And so Romans 3.23 reminds us, every one of us, all means all, fall short of that. Depressing, discouraging, truthful, right? It can be depressing and discouraging, but when I look in the mirror, I know it to be true. And I can stand there and wrestle with that and be stuck there if I didn't turn to verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, in the next couple of verses, we're going to look at some words that might not be familiar to everybody, and so I'm going to try to explain them because they're crucial in helping us understand this. All have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God, and we've been justified. Justification is an image of the courtroom, and, and it's God declaring us to be not guilty before God and therefore treated as holy. Think about that for just a second. One of the commentators, when I was reading this, I'm just like, I know this, but this is blowing my mind right now. This is an image in the courtroom. He's declaring us to not be guilty, even though I just declared how guilty we are. And therefore, not only am I not guilty, I'm now treated as holy. What? Because <laughs> I don't feel very holy sometimes. But the beauty is that this is what he's doing. It's We come before the judge in the courtroom, and by faith in Jesus, the judge says, guess what? You're not guilty, and not only are you not guilty, I'm going to make you holy. And he's going to do this simply by grace as a gift, it says. We're justified, declared to be not guilty, and then to be holy, set apart his. Guess what? If you put your faith in Jesus, you have been set apart, and you are being held on to by Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his righteousness alone, and he's not letting go. And you are steadfast in that, no matter what your brain is telling you. No matter how the ups and downs of life, he's going, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> As we're going up and down, he's holding on. See, this, this justification that he's declared, and he's not only saying, hey, I'm holding on to you. He's saying, I've steadfastly put you in the holy category. You are now holy in my sight. And somehow I've got to get to that place of getting my brain to match who I am and to stop saying, man, I am just such a mess and I keep messing up. And he's saying, you're holy. Not because of the things you've been doing, because of the things that he did. And so he's saying, you have been redeemed. 
First he says, you've been justified. You've been declared not guilty. You've been made holy. This is a gift of grace. Grace is something, getting something we don't deserve. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us as a gift. And then he says, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So the second important word is redemption. And this is the image of buying something back. So the first one, justification, courtroom, judge says you're, you're justified, you're not guilty. And then I'm putting you in the holy section as well. And then the redemption is I've been buying you back. Now, what are we being bought back from? There are two things. And this is also very important. We're being redeemed from being enslaved to sin. So we're being bought back from being enslaved to sin, so I no longer have to have sin drag me around. Now, I don't know if there's any wrestlers in here, and I've used this analogy before, but when I grew up in wrestling country, there was an illegal move that when you're out wrestling with your buddies and fighting and stuff like that, that you're not supposed to do, but you'll do it anyway. It's called the fish hook. And the fish hook is you stick your finger in there, and you can't write down because it's on this side, and you drag the guy around, okay? <laughs> and we think that sin is like the fish hook. That Satan's got me and he's just dragging me around. I'm enslaved to sin and been liberated from sin because of the work of Christ. And he's bought us back from being enslaved in that. But more importantly, and this will be really important as we get into the next verse, we're being redeemed from the wrath of God's judgment. God is a just God, so I deserve to be punished. And yet, he, I just got done saying he justified us and put the gavel down and say we're not guilty. And now he's redeeming us back from facing the punishment that we should have for our sin, for violating the glory of God. And if we're not careful, we'll stop there as well and say, well, isn't God awesome? That he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, I'm just going to ignore all of your sin. I'm going to ignore all the things that you do, and I've justified you, and now I'm redeeming you back from the judgment that you're supposed to face and the consequences for your sin, and aren't I great? And we all go around and just rest in the fact that God's a loving God, and we don't think about what price he paid, and we don't realize how all of it revolves around Jesus Christ and the very next verse and how important the next verse is. Let me just stop for a moment draw you back in in case I've lost you. We've been justified by the gavel going down, the judge saying, I'm giving you a free gift of grace. And then I'm going to redeem you back, but I'm redeeming you back, not from Satan. I'm redeeming you back from the justice you're supposed to get from God for violating his glory, which we call sin, and we've all done it according to Romans 3.23. But God says, listen, though, I'm a just God. And I can't just ignore your sin. Again, an example some of you have heard me share before. I got four kids. My son and my daughter are a year and a half apart, year in school. On occasion, not very often, <laughs> yeah. on occasion, they didn't always get along growing up, all right? And there were problems sometimes. And the example I like to use is say my daughter, who is younger, and let me just be clear, it wasn't always this way. I'm just putting it this way, okay? She could hold her own sometimes. But if my daughter came to me as the one who was the head of the home, had the power to bring justice, had the power to do the right thing, the power to discipline, the power to reconcile a situation, if she came to me and said, Dad, Zach is beating up on me and teasing me and doing this, if I went over and said to Zach, Zach, I love you. I'm a dad of love. And I, I just really would like you to stop. 
okay? Would you please not do that anymore? Two days later, let's say two days, <laughs> probably a day later, she comes to me again. Dad, Zach called me this and this, and, and Zach pulled my ponytail, and Zach did, and I go to Zach, and I say, Zach, I'm, I'm a da dad of love. Would you just please stop? She comes to me a third day. Dad, this time, this actually did happen. They were way little, okay? This actually <laughs> did happen. He knocked my tooth out <laughs> on the trampoline, okay? And if I said, Zach, I really love you, don't knock your sister's teeth out, okay? <laughs> Eventually, he thinks what? Whoa, my dad is the greatest, loving, awesome. He never gets mad. He never disciplines. He's so awesome. That's how we like to think about God, right? What's Bryza thinking? Who are you? You've got the power to stop him? You've got the power to bring justice? You've got the power to do the right? How are you a good dad? How are you a, a righteous dad? How are you somebody that I should be looking to for help and deliverance and encouragement? And you see the difference? You see, if we don't have both sides of God... We have people over here that have been grievously sinned against, and that's some of you in this room today, and you want to know that God's going to do something about that. You want to know that it's more than just, oh, I, I just love the sinner over here, and I'm just going to forget everything. See, God isn't going to forget it. God's going to address it and deal with it. But here's the thing that is so mind-blowing, and it's good news for us as the sinner, okay? God says, Somebody's got to be punished for this, and I'm going to do it. Because this is verse 25. Whom God put forward now, okay, and justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward. God put him to the front, put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. Now we're reading that we go, what is propitiation? And here it is, and this is so crucial and important. Propitiation is simply a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God against sinners. This is the image of God being appeased by a sacrifice, a just and righteous God. Remember my daughter over here saying, is, are you going to be a just and righteous dad? A just and righteous God, who is also a loving God, finds himself in this spot. And the spot is my creation, who I created in my image, sin and fall short of my glory. I'm, I have only one option. If I'm going to be just and I'm going to be loving, I'm going to have to be the one that pays the price so their sins are forgiven. Because he's not a just God if he just ignores your sin and says, well, I'm just going to wipe it out and ignore it. God's wrath was averted for you and I because a substitute had been slain. Somebody came in on our behalf. Somebody stepped in and said, I'll do it. And this is what's so crazy about salvation, so crazy about the gospel, so hard for some of us to grab onto. And he says, all you got to do is believe it. <laughs> See, he's, it's all there just by faith. So this propitiation by his blood is received by faith. And I have a hard time with that because I think i got to do stuff. <laughs> and he's just saying, listen, that's the kind of God I am. You've messed it up. I'm going to fix it. 
and I'm going to be both the just and the justifier, and I'm going to do it by a propitiation, a sacrifice that appeases God's justice and wrath, a substitute is going to step in. This is how one commentator put it. Justification solves the problem of man's guilt before a righteous judge. Redemption solves the problem of man's slavery to sin, the world, and the devil. And propitiation solves the problem of offending our creator. And it's a beautiful picture that our creator says, I've got a righteousness that I'm going to give to you. How do you receive it? By working harder? Following the law? Just by faith. Just by receiving it. And then this amazing verse 26. It was to show his righteousness. He did all this to show that he's righteous at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God saw his glory being despised by sinners. He saw his worth being belittled and his name being dishonored by our sin. And rather than vindicating the worth of his glory by slaying his people, he vindicated his glory by slaying his son. That was John Piper. At the cross, God demonstrated his righteousness by offering man justification, a legal verdict, while remaining completely just because the penalty for sin was paid. The righteous penalty, my sin. Man, now sometimes that bothers us until we get to the place where it doesn't bother us, and then it just makes us want to shout hallelujah, right? That my sin, I'm, I'm going to tell you this this morning, Dean Paulson's sin, every last one of them, even the ones that are going to happen in the future, have been laid on Jesus Christ, and he stepped in on my behalf. And he died for me. And then he said to me, I have a righteousness I'm going to give you. You just got to be, receive it by faith, not by works, so that you can't boast. And then guess what? I'm going to give you my spirit and start transforming you into my image so that you can actually glorify me with your life. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. Let me just wrap this up with this quick statement by John Piper and then my final thoughts, and then we're going to go to communion. This is how Piper summarizes 19 through 26. First, all human beings are personally accountable to God for their sin. Second, the resulting guilt of man and righteous indignation of God cannot be made right by works of the law. Third, God on his own initiative set about to accomplish our justification by grace and offer it as a free gift. Fourth, the way he did this was by sending his son Jesus to redeem us by his death and to demonstrate the righteousness of God. And finally, this gift of justification, the removal of our guilt and God's wrath, comes only to those who trust in Jesus. Awesome. That's all it takes. You see, you and I and all human beings, by our sin, we've belittled, dishonored, and despised the glory of God. And then he decided to justify us and to declare us righteous. He decided to redeem us we were redeemed from being enslaved to sin and from the wrath of God. And he did this by the propitiation of Jesus 
Jesus was the sacrifice to appease the justice of God. He stood in our place. And we get to apply all of that to our lives through faith, through faith in Jesus and what he's done. And my only response this morning is to say, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Here's my application for you today is simply this. If all of this is true for you today, would you think about what it means to declare that to other people? What are we talking about here? Declare, display, and delight? If all this is true, would you figure out how to display that to people as you're living out your life? And I really want to invite you this week, if all this is true in your life, to spend some time just delighting in the good news of this. Just going, this is so awesome. That simply by faith, all this has happened. And now I'm set apart as holy, righteous. And God sees me in that way. Only by the blood of his son Jesus and my faith in Jesus. Let's declare, display, and delight in that. I can't give you much better news than that this morning.